listening to Footprints on Our Hearts, a podcast about baby loss, legacy, and learning to live again with me, Alison Ingleby. The baby loss community is one that no one wants to join, but together we can break the silence around baby loss and help each other navigate the rocky road that is grief, because all children leave footprints on our hearts. Hello and welcome to episode 47 of Footprints on Our Hearts. Today I have an interview with Robin whose daughter Mackenzie passed away when she was just two months old in 2013 due to undiagnosed congenital heart defects. And Robin's story, as heartbreaking as it is, doesn't even end there. Her rainbow baby, her son Austin, um, was also a struggle as they struggled to conceive. And then he was diagnosed with a congenital heart defect when he was just 23 um, weeks gestation and ended up undergoing open heart surgery when he was just 36 hours old. So it's a really interesting story. It's um, There were definitely points when I was close to tears on it because it is pretty heartbreaking. But uh, all the stories on this heart, on this podcast are heartbreaking. Um, and I'm really grateful to Robin for coming on and sharing Mackenzie's story. And I hope you enjoy listening to it. If you've been keeping an eye out on the news or you're a follower of the um the baby loss community or pregnancy community on Instagram, then you'll have seen we've had some good news this week in the UK, which is that NHS England have finally published some strong guidelines for hospitals saying that birth partners should be allowed in with women who are pregnant when going for scans or for appointments and during the the sort of full process of giving birth, so including induction where possible. And, you know, I think a lot of people have been waiting for this for a long time and there's been some hard campaigning work going on. So it's great to see that that has um, paid off. And I do hope that anyone listening, if you're pregnant with your rainbow baby right now or, um, you know, you have friends or family who are pregnant, and I hope you can have a better experience than many women have had this year. That's pretty much all for today. We are, gosh, I can't believe it's actually a week to go to Christmas. I'm still slightly in denial and have not done a huge amount in the way of Christmas preparations. But I think I feel like this every year and somehow I muddle through and get things done. And obviously, there are a lot of things which aren't being done this year because there is only so much you can do when you have um, a little baby in the house. So we are very much looking forward to our first Christmas with Rowan. And And yeah, it's going to be a bit strange, I think. Last year was strange because we should have had Sky with us and it definitely felt like like she was missing and there was someone missing at Christmas. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like Christmas used to be, put it that way. And I don't know how it's going to feel this year because obviously we have the we have the joy of having Rowan with us, but at the same time that doesn't take away from the fact that Sky isn't there. So yeah, it's a bit of a complicated, confusing one, but so many things are complicated with grief. Anyway, so I will be taking a little break from the podcast for the next two weeks um, and we will be back 
on the 7th of January. I think it's the 7th. I haven't actually checked that, but I'm pretty sure it is. Anyway, the first Friday after New Year. And if you are wanting to listen to episodes in between and you're missing the podcast, the, the regular weekly um, weekly podcast episodes, then you know there are 40, well, 47 now podcast episodes to go back and listen to. Um, so please do go and explore the backlist um, if you're missing listening to your regular show. So thank you all very much for your support of the podcast over the past year. I can't believe we're nearly a year into it. Um, it's quite amazing, actually. <laughs> um, so many stories I've had the privilege um, and honour to share, and I'm so grateful for that. And, you know, it's made my 2020 a little bit brighter. So thank you all very much for your support. And in particular, I'd like to say a huge thank you once again to my supporters on Patreon who help me cover the costs to run this podcast and keep it going. If you would like to support the podcast on Patreon, you can do so from just a few pounds a month. Go to patreon.com slash footprints on our hearts to find out more. And I guess I'd just like to wish you all perhaps not a happy Christmas, but definitely a gentle Christmas and take care of yourselves and do whatever you need to do to get through this festive season. Today, I'm joined on the podcast by Robin, who lost her daughter Mackenzie seven years ago when Mackenzie was just two months old. Welcome to the podcast, Robin. Thank you so much for joining me. And would you like to start by introducing yourself and your family? Sure. So my name is Robin. Um, my husband is Eric. And then we have three living children. Um, we have Jessica. She will be nine in February. We have Austin. He will be four or sorry, five in February. And then Madeline is two tomorrow. <laughs> Oh, happy birthday, Madeline, for tomorrow. Right? <laughs> when this goes out, she'll have already had her birthday. So. Exactly. Yep. Um, and then you have Mackenzie, who right. um, I think fell between Jessica and Austin in terms of age. She, yep, she did. She was born in 2013, so she would have been seven this past August. Okay. Um, and I'd like to start a bit by just talking about how was your journey to get pregnant with Mackenzie and how did your pregnancy go? Did you have any health scares or any indications that there might be anything wrong with her? No. Um, so I got pregnant with her without really knowing I was getting pregnant with her. I was on the <laughs> pill. I was uh -huh. nursing Jessica because um, Jessica was only nine months old when I got pregnant with Mackenzie. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm. So I definitely, um, she was definitely an unexpected gift. Um, <laughs> we didn't have any issues in our pregnancy. Um, doctor's appointments seemed to go really well. I had a repeat C-section with her. Um, just my doctor was very much, um, what's the word? She was things her way or no way. Oh, okay. So I had because I had a C-section, emergency C-section with Jessica. I had to have one with Mackenzie. So okay. Um, so she arrived and everything was perfectly fine. And gosh, you so you must have had two two under twos, did you? Yep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they were. Wow. Um, the girls were two days shy of eighteen months apart. Oh wow! Right. Oh, so yeah, she was delivered, and then um, when 
that evening, like everything seemed to be fine. She was just kind of normal baby after C-section, kind of sleepy from all the meds that I have to take. And, but she just wouldn't eat. And so I kind of raised those concerns with our nurses and the doctors. And um, then they were doing one of her checks to make sure, you know, she's healthy. And somebody noticed a murmur in her heart, but that was essentially the end of it. Nobody wanted to check on it anymore. She passed all of her pulse ox testing on all extremities. So they just kind of moved on from it from there. So did they say was that kind of is that kind of a normal thing for newborn babies to have? It is. Yeah. So I with having my son Austin, which I'm sure we'll get to later with him, but with having him, um, I've learned that there is that is a normal thing for babies to have. Um, The patent ductus arteriosus is a little hole that kind of stays open while they're in the womb um, to help blood flow go from the umbilical cord to their heart to the brain, all that stuff. So it's normal. But when a mom raises concern, you think that you would yeah. you'd look into it a little more. Yeah. And tell us a bit about what Mackenzie was like as a baby, because they kind of grow and change so much in those first two months, don't they? Right. She did. I mean, we, I had, I mean, I had two under two, so it was very chaotic and trying to balance that. Cause I think going from one to two is probably the hardest thing ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she, um, she was kind of a chill baby. She really just liked mama. She always wanted to be with me. She didn't really want dad. She didn't want anybody else. She just wanted to be sitting with me or nursing. And um, she didn't really sleep that great, but that's part of the reason why she ended up passing. So, Yeah. Yeah. But you obviously, I mean, newborn babies often don't sleep great as well. You know, that's like right. kind of normal <laughs> as well, isn't it? It yeah. is. Yeah. So could you tell us a bit about what happened in the lead up to Mackenzie's death and when you realized that something was seriously wrong with her? Yeah, so she, um, about a week before she ended up passing away, I was, I mean, not even before the week, I was raising concerns with my husband about how she wasn't gaining any weight. Um, Mm -hmm. She was still, I mean, she was born and she was seven pounds and I, she was still fitting in newborn clothing and she was almost two months old. And I mean, with my experience with my oldest, she was almost in six months close by then. <laughs> so it was it was a concern to me. She was not a very good eater. Um, she'd only want to nurse for so long and then she'd get too tired. Um, she was having trouble sleeping, not only just in like a normal newborn way, but she just was a she was up all the time. We didn't sleep very well. Um and so I raised concerns with my husband. We decided to talk to the doctor, the pediatrician, and they um, they told us to bring her in for a weight check and we'll see what's going on. So we did that. Um, she weighed eight pounds at almost two months oh. old. So she had only oh, gained gosh. a whole pound. Um, and so they were like, well, she probably has acid reflux, like the GERD or uh, gastrointestinal reflux. Um, and I was skeptical because my oldest had that and she would eat and then two hours later she'd vomit up the entire feeding um where Mackenzie never spit up (laughs) like Mm -hmm. just the basic little bit that most babies do but that was the end of it so I was skeptical but at the same time I was at the point where I trust your doctors kind of thing um and she 
we sent us home on a prescription for an antacid for her um, and then to come back in a week to see if she had gained any weight. And so that we did, this is on a Friday. And so we came back the following Friday and um, she was, she gained six ounces in a week. So she was eight pounds, six ounces by this time. Um, and her doctor's like, sweet, we found the solution. This is what's going on. And I, every time we were in the office, I was asking about that heart murmur. And I asked them, check on it, please. Like do an echo, do something to look at it because something's not right. She's not, I told her all that my concerns, she's not eating. She sleeps really bad, even for a newborn. <laughs> and um, she just kind of ignored my concerns and said, well, her heart sounds fine. So there's nothing you should be worried about. And so again, you're supposed to trust your doctors. And um, mm. that same day, so we were supposed to go, this is on a Friday, we were supposed to go the following like Tuesday or Wednesday to go in for her two month checkup anyways, for her vaccinations and all that stuff. And um, so they were like, well, let's save you a trip into town because we, li we lived a little ways away from the office. And I was like, sure, you know, just, I don't want to have to go into the pediatrician office with two kids under two. <laughs> Uh, again, in, you know, one week, and um, we uh, decided just to have her two-month checkup then. That way, just kind of kill two birds with one stone. So they gave her her vaccinations and sent us on our way. Mm -hmm. So did they check her heart right then to say it they, was okay? They listened to her and said she was fine. Okay, but they didn't do anything more than that? No, mm -hmm. they didn't do anything more than that. But then on Saturday she was extremely fussy like more so than normal and um she didn't want to eat she didn't want to sleep she I, I felt like i was trying to force feed her and so not all, just because she wouldn't eat at all um she had a fever that we couldn't break we got it to break momentarily with tylenol but it didn't last very long and it was her fever was really high and she just was irritable and we couldn't figure out what was going on and I hit, it was a Saturday. So I had to call the on call pediatrician since it's not normal office hours. And, um, they told me that everything's normal. It's normal to have this reaction after getting vaccinations mm -hmm. and trust your doctors. So I said, okay, well, well, if anything changes, we'll call back. So again, I think I called three or four times that day. And again, but again, I mean, that, and that's what we get told over here, certainly, like all the advice is, you know, give them like the sort of liquid infant paracetamol, like three doses mm -hmm. over 24 hours, because they will, you know, it's so common to have a fever after exactly. the vaccines. Right. And that mm -hmm. I, and I knew that, but it was the fact that we couldn't break her fever. Yeah. And yeah. so when I called, I finally had had enough and I called the ER nurse late that evening the same evening I don't timing is very off for me because it's so traumatic but yeah. um I called them later that night my husband our bedrooms were downstairs so my husband was downstairs sleeping and I was upstairs in our living room and he um I called my the nurse that was on call or taking notes at triage through the phone um and she said, she needs to be seen. Bring her in. Do you need an ambulance? And I said, no, because the little small town we live in at the time only had one ambulance. And we heard it go by not even a half an hour beforehand. So I was like, by the time I can load her up and get her to the hospital, 
um, the ambulance could, you know, we could get there faster than the ambulance. So that's what I did. So you've got a poorly baby and you set off, so I guess your husband's was, your, did you set off with your husband to the hospital? No, I, I went by myself. Oh, you went, her. you went by yourself. Okay. Yeah, my husband and, stayed home with my oldest. Okay. And what happened on that journey when you arrived at hospital? So she had been crying the entire time um, that I set her in her car seat, got her buckled up and then I drove and I kept thinking to myself, they're just going to turn me away because I'm just some crazy mom. And, you know, like I'm, I was young, I was 23. So I, you know, I just thought that they would, um, that they would just turn me away and laugh at me for having concerns that this guy, that kind of thing. So, but she stopped crying when we got off the interstate. So the main highway that takes us from where we lived at the time and to get off to go into town and she stopped crying and I was thinking to myself, okay, she's sleeping. Things are going to be good. Things are going to be great. And then we got, there's a train, like a freight train that goes through town and we got stopped. There's no way to go around it. Oh. You just have to wait. And the chances and it, of that happening. Right. And it took about, because we got there just as the bars were lowering to stop you from going through. And so that was, and the, the trains are very long out here. So I think it took about 15 minutes and she's still what I thought was sleeping in the back. Mm -hmm. And so when we pulled up to the hospital, I went to go out and get her and she was gone. And what, oh God, I mean, it's just every mother's worst nightmare. What, it is. what did you, what did you do in that moment? Can you remember? I, I can. I got her out as fast as I could. Um, she had like, cause when you pass away, like all your orifices open. Mm. So she had vomited what I was essentially trying to force feed her earlier in the night. Mm. Um, I could smell that she had had feces. Um, she was blue. So I grabbed her out and I had my diaper bag like hanging off my shoulder and, you know, and I ran her into the hospital and I was just screaming, my baby's not breathing. My baby's not breathing. Um, she was blue. I'm pretty sure that I had my uh, sweatpants that I was wearing. They didn't have a drawstring and they were around my ankles. And I say this every time I'm at my, my grief group that I go to, I just, I, this is the one memory I remember is I just walked through those hospital doors and I was bare naked essentially from the waist <laughs> down because I just didn't want to take the time to pull them up when my baby needed care. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess they, did they see her straight? Did they grab you straight away? They did. They what? took her yeah. right back straight away. They took her and okay. then they took me somewhere else. Okay. So you weren't with her? No. You had to just wait. And did you know, did they try to resuscitate her or anything? They did. They, I mean, at first I'm not sure exactly what they did because they took me to a separate room where they were interviewing me. Oh like, gosh! Oh, because it's because it's an unexpected, unexpected how, out of the how hospital. Awful. How awful! Yeah. So the nurses were interviewing me, trying to get the events of the day. We couldn't get a hold of my husband. Um, like I said, our bedrooms were downstairs in the basement at that time, mm. and his phone was upstairs, and he couldn't hear it. And thankfully, mm. uh, my his dad and stepmom lived right next door. And they answered their phone and they, she, we don't, and we didn't lock our doors. So they came over, um, woke him up and he got to the hospital in record time. 
um, and they took over, they took my daughter, um, and I called my mom, like my mom also lives five hours away. So, and his mom lived at the time seven hours away. So we called everybody we could because we didn't know what was going on. They wouldn't let us see her. And they wouldn't tell you what they wouldn't what tell us what was going on. They just told us that she's very sick. Yeah. And I, my, as a mom, your worst fear is that you did it. Yeah. And then they're questioning you, which makes you feel like you're being interrogated and you're, and you have done something wrong, even when you haven't done anything wrong. Exactly. And, um, after they had gotten all the information that they wanted, just the hospital staff, we were led to her room where they were still trying to resuscitate her. Um, life flight, the helicopter was going, the life flight crew was outside the door. Um, my stepsister lived in town at the time and her and her boyfriend came over for support. And, um, we just sat there and watched while they tried to get her heart started again. And then I guess at some point they they decided or knew that there wasn't anything they could do for her. Right. They told us that um oh sorry. Um no, fine. they told us that there's they can't get her heart started in strong enough to send her to Denver. Um the closest children's hospital to us is in Colorado. That's about eight it's about an eight hour drive. Okay, but they had, I guess they had the helicopter there already they to had the helicopter kind of transport and, her if right. need be. Yeah. Right, they would have transported her if she was strong enough, but she wasn't strong enough. Um, and they said it is her heart. So her heart, something's wrong. Okay. So you knew that immediately that it was her heart. Right, that's what they told yeah. us at first, is that they are thinking that it's her heart. But at the same time, too, they we uh, then after they had called her death, um, they took us to a room and we had to be interviewed separately by the police. Gosh. And were they, did they give you some time and space with Mackenzie at the hospital, like after her death? Yeah, they did. So not very, I didn't feel like it was very much time because they kept all of the tubes and the tape and all that stuff in her. Like she had an IV in her head. She had the breathing tube. She had, um, tape all over her face and they called it they handed her to us but they never told us like take as long as you want they just handed her to us and walked away but then there's a nurse that stayed in the room the entire time and stared at us oh so you just didn't have that privacy and i mean i know from you know talking to parents who have had children who've like been in the NICU, for example, and, and then died. So obviously, you know, their, their babies have been covered with tubes right. and everything. But once they've passed, you know, the staff take all those off them so they can just be their baby. So you right. can have those kind of cuddles and, you know, and just have that little bit of time with them to kind of just initially get that initial grief and those kind of, I guess, trying to memorize her face and her right. hands and everything about her. Right. Um, I know, like, and even people, just, they like get like um, casts of their hands and their mm, feet and all that stuff. We didn't get any of that. We didn't get anything. Oh, I'm so sorry. And I know, like, I know it's very, like the support is variable here in the UK. And I've spoken to people from, you know, other countries who have not had that much support, but I think, I think, and I don't know if this is the case at all, um, 
where you are but I did speak to another lady um in the UK actually who's whose um, son died when he was 10 days old. So again, after birth. So it wasn't a stillbirth, right. but it was after birth. And she also had a similar experience, I think not quite as bad as yourself, but similar in that she didn't really have any time with him. And again, this was maybe sort of, I think was it was about seven years ago, so around the same time. Right. Um, and I do, part of me wonders, I mean, I think things have maybe moved on, but part of me also wonders if, Actually, if you've had a stillbirth, they've got things set up for that, but they don't have things set up and they don't think to link those two things and give you the same support as like as as a family who'd maybe lost a child under different circumstances, you know, right. a new baby. Whereas that should be the first thing they think of and the first thing that they offer and try and support you with. And I agree. I think that they should have that. I don't know what it's like now. I mean, it's seven years ago it was a long time in the medical world, especially. But um, yeah, we had that nurse just watching us the entire time. And it was myself, my husband, my stepsister, and her boyfriend were there. And then his my husband's um, dad and stepmom were all there to hold her and say goodbye. Mm -hmm. But it was like, I felt rushed. I felt like I needed to just give her back. Yeah. Um, so, and it, like, I'm, I don't know. I, I keep, every time I talk about this, I'm like, it's like, I'm going to just run away with her body. I don't want a dead body with me. I just, I want to have time with my baby. And I didn't get that. And, and also just to come to terms with it, because you're still so much in shock at yeah. this point, you know, you've, you've literally gone from having, you know, a crying, albeit, you know, a bit poorly baby uh -huh. to having to have to run into hospital you know to have her taken snatched from your arms taken away and then and then be told that she's passed I mean you're you're literally you kind of need that time to process that shock almost before you can take her in and, right. and have those kind of precious moments with her yeah. yeah did you have to have an autopsy because her death was so sudden we did yeah they um they took her and then they did an autopsy I think we got the results back in like 48 hours. Um, but the hardest thing about the autopsy is the coroner who did it um, is was or is under investigation for botched children's autopsies in our state. And when we had my son, who has the heart condition um, as well, I mean, they're two different things, but they I've given her autopsy to my son's local pediatric cardiologist i've taken it to denver with us and they say that it's completely wrong oh, so so what they gave the wrong cause of death or well it's just the wrong diag heart diagnosis okay it is it was caught she did die from a heart condition uh -huh. but the autopsy says she died of um from eisenmenger syndrome but that when I talk to anybody else in the medical field, especially when it comes to hearts and cardiology and all that stuff, um, they say that Eisenmenger syndrome, worst case scenario, it won't show itself till you're 10. Wow. But more likely not until you're 20 or 30 yeah. years old. Yeah. So it's highly unlikely that she had it. Yeah. And as we'll come on to talk about in a bit, you're 
kind of a bit of an expert. You've been forced to become a bit of an expert on yeah. heart conditions. So, I have like, been you, forced. You, yeah, you know, like you know, you know what you're. This isn't just a random Google on the internet to kind of find stuff out. This is like right. actual experts giving that opinion. But I guess at the time, you know, you accept that because that is, you know, that that's what the the death certificate and stuff says. And, exactly. You know, yeah, her. Her death certificate, I have it somewhere, but it does say that she had um, a hole in her heart between all four chambers. She mm-hmm. had her aorta was coming out on the wrong side of the body, is what it what it should. Uh, so that's like the main artery or whatever in your heart, the big arch in the heart that was coming out the wrong way. And then um, on top of all of that, she also had like what they call hypoplastic ovaries, so she had no eggs. So she wouldn't have even been able to have children later in life. Oh, wow. And are those two things linked? No. <laughs> no, it was just like, random. <laughs> it was a completely random thing. And I saw that and I was just like, that is interesting. Like, how does that yeah. work? Yeah. Yeah, that is. And I guess, I mean, Mackenzie had been very much part of your family for, you know, two months, as well as the time, you know, all the time you were pregnant with her. Right. And her death came as such a shock. How how did grief affect the three of you in the same way or differently in those first few months? Um, I mean, for me, like, I spent a lot of time crying. Um, I know that my husband kind of is the type that he just kind of holds it, holds it in. He's a typical guy. He's trying to like, fix everything and he can't fix it. So he um, just kind of held it into him for himself um he did unfortunately turn to drinking a little more than he should um and i know honestly her that first year after mackenzie died i don't remember very much of it at it's very blurry i don't i'm thankful that you know my husband and myself take pictures a lot so we have pictures to remember things bits and pieces but I mean, I feel so bad for my oldest because I don't remember from the time she was 22 months old until she was almost three. Mm. So I don't really remember that. And I don't think that's uncommon. Like I've spoken to other people who who sort of felt the same. And I guess she was she must have been so young that she had kind of maybe quite a limited awareness of of what was happening. Yeah, I don't know if she really understood it at the time. Um mm. She would ask sometimes, where's the baby? Like, where's Kinsey? And of course, it's like, Kinsey's in heaven. You know, she's watching mm-hmm. you right now, sweetie. And But it's it's hard to explain that to somebody so young. <laughs> yeah, in kind of, uh, who have no kind of concept of life or death or right. anything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. And nowadays, I mean, she's almost nine and we talk about Mackenzie all the time. And so she um she definitely knows what 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 happened and if she asks questions we definitely you know we're honest about it we don't sugarcoat it we just tell her Mm -hmm. so it's but it's gotten easier as she's gotten older but I just don't think she understood it right away yeah and did you feel like your grief kind of eased a bit after that first year I mean obviously it kind of it comes and goes in ways doesn't it it doesn't it doesn't go (laughs) but but sometimes they would come patches where it's a little bit easier um than other days yeah I mean it was definitely harder that first year all the firsts and stuff are always still hard Mm -hmm. like her first day of school was hard like 
that kind of thing. But um, yeah, it's definitely, it's gradually gotten better. Um, it is still raw, it seems, even after seven yeah. years. Yeah. And I think, yeah, it it doesn't go. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Like it always is. Okay. I'd quite like to go on to now talk a bit about your son, talk about Austin. And when you contacted me about coming on the podcast, you said that you've never thought of him as your rainbow baby because right. of everything you've endured to keep him with you. Yep. Can you tell us a bit about your journey to getting pregnant with him and your pregnancy with him? Yeah. So I think when you lose a baby, if you can have more, and you want to have more like you have that empty that empty arm syndrome is what i like to call it and so like that's my that was my goal is i wanted another baby and it took us i think 17 months to get pregnant with him um we went back to my doctor that had delivered my two older girls and i was told that until i got over my grief I, they were not going to help me but i we i couldn't figure out why I, couldn't get pregnant. My cycles were super long. Um, I wasn't sure if I was even ovulating. So we didn't, um, we just didn't know. We tried for so long and there's just nothing. So I got a recommendation from a friend who goes to a, so we have two hospitals here in our town. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of nice because then the doc, the new doctor I was going to go see is from a different hospital. Um, we had, talked to her well, I talked to her and she like sat with me and she sat she let me talk for I think it was like two hours <laughs> and she just hugged me and told me that you know we'll go through hell and high water to get you pregnant if you are up for it and I said yes like I want another baby she knew our story she knew about Mackenzie and her heart and all that stuff and um so we she she had me um just taking ovulation tests to start and then letting her know when my period was coming. But then she um, prescribed me letrozole, um, which I think is like even a, it's a breast cancer medication. Yeah, it, apparently they use it off-label to help you ovulate. But it did help me ovulate, but it took three cycles for me to get pregnant with that. Um, she had to up my dose because it wasn't enough. Mm -hmm. um, but I did finally get pregnant and we were super excited. Um, we found out he was a boy at 18 weeks and then she recommended at 23 weeks I get a fetal echocardiogram just to be on the safe side just to check in to see and make sure that he's okay too and, and did they, so and after Mackenzie passed did did they say that that you know that sort of heart condition was something that could occur again you know is it is it kind of genetic was it likely that a future baby would have similar issues um, they had told us, so the genetic, the geneticist that we saw wasn't familiar with cardiac issues, but she did do a little bit of extra research on her own time, she said, and that it is, she said it was a very slim to none chance that it would happen again. But I was also naive in that too, because now that I've been through all this journey, heart defects, at least just in the US, I don't know what it is worldwide, but in the US, it's one in 100 kids is born with a heart condition, regardless of genetics. Mm, that's, that's higher than I thought it would be. It's very high. Um, for just, a, it's just a bit, it could be anything from something minor to a tiny mm -hmm. hole to something yeah. major like what my son has. Yeah. 
Yeah. So when did you find out that um, he had some problems with his heart? So we went in for our echo um, with the maternal fetal medicine doctor. Um, they did the, I was by myself as I am when everything happens. That's bad. <laughs> I'm surprised you just came your husband to you. And I was oh. like, no, you're coming along with me to everything. And that's the thing. Like, I just thought that everything was perfect i thought mm. things were going great with the pregnancy i would know if something was wrong that kind of that's mm. how i felt and so i went into it with high hopes um the nurse that um helped me get ready for all this she's also one of the girls that i went to beauty school with it's her mom so i knew her pretty good and it helped me kind of be at ease with everything but then they led me to the sonic the sonogram room and i was sitting there and the sonographer told me that she would um, do her thing, and then the doctor's going to come in afterwards and do his thing just to be make sure that we got all the pictures they need. So they did the um, the entire scan, not just of his heart, but of everything they did. They call it a biophysical profile. They make sure that he's doing good um, in general. And then I remember she looked; she was looking at the heart a little bit, but I I really didn't know what she was looking at at the time. Things are different now, <laughs> but I didn't know what she was really looking at. And she then all she got really quiet. She stopped talking and she put her stuff down, went out. She's like, I'm going to go grab the doctor. I'll be right back. And then the nurse came in first and she sat there and held my hand. And then the doctor comes in and he's like, he did his thing. He didn't say anything. But then he was like, your son has a, con a serious heart condition. And it must have, I mean, that must have been so traumatizing. Traumatizing to find that out anyway. But to right. be told she had a heart condition after losing Mackenzie because she had a heart condition. Right. Must have, I mean, I don't know what were the thoughts that were flying through your head at the moment. I mean, I was definitely my first, I'm the type that I think worst case scenario. I was like, this baby's mm. not coming home. Mm. And I thought that the entire rest of my pregnancy. And honestly, I don't, I mean, I think given what you'd been through, I don't think that that kind of worst case scenario, I think that's, that's a logical next step for your mind to take. So, right. you know, I don't, like, I know people probably go, oh, well, she was totally overreacting. And I was like, give it actually, given your experience, that is not overreacting. That is just, right. this is what happens. Yeah. And so we got, but within like two weeks, we had the fetal echocardiogram we got referred to the pediatric cardiologist and then we went to denver within a week of that to mm -hmm. get everybody the team ready the like them to go over all of his stuff and get a plan going for when he um was to be born so and what 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 did they tell you or what could they tell you in terms of his prognosis and how would that affect I guess the rest of your pregnancy and plans for his delivery and that kind of thing? So they told us that um when we were in Denver that we would um we had options. We had we could terminate the pregnancy, we could do um the palliative care, which is the three staged open heart surgeries. We could do comfort care which would be to allow him to just pass away naturally in our arms. So they weren't, I'm not saying like, and he's going to live through this option with him. Right. This is they, kind of like 
three ways he could die essentially right. <laughs> yeah but it's sorry that's quite blunt but <laughs> no that's, that's that how i what felt. they were saying that's how i felt and i mean i i went in there trying to have hope and hoping that mm-hmm. he would do well and um they were they said that the outcomes with the surgeries like especially that first open heart surgery they say the outcomes aren't very good and um but they would do everything like our surgeon like came in and he's like but you know I'm going to do everything I can. The rest is in God's hands, but I'm going to do my best for your son. And so mm-hmm. I took that as, okay, he's going to be okay, but there's still, we don't know. And it was so, there's so much unknown, especially when it's the first time you're going through all this. And I know some families that have multiple kids with heart conditions and I can only imagine what they went through with all of them. But when it's just your first, the first one that you have and you mm-hmm. just don't know anything about it, you're kind of left in the dark. Mm. And I guess given you hadn't had the best care with Mackenzie and there had been these, you know, these questions which you'd had, which hadn't been answered and you kind of been let down a bit, I guess, by the medical professionals, did you find it kind of hard to trust them again with Austin? I did. I, like, I, kind of my mindset just switched with all, if it was doctors, I pretty much told them that you're working for me. And if I ask you for a test, you're going to do it. and I'll pay for it but you know you're not going to tell me no if I have a concern with my kid um and I we struggled with finding a nice a good pediatrician um to send our kids our my daughter and then eventually Austin to afterwards because we just didn't want people to question us and we didn't want them to run us over like I felt with our other ones yeah, you want them to take you seriously and, and not just to kind of fob you off just right. because they think you're overreacting or they disagree with what your concerns are. Um, and at the end of the day, you had concerns with Mackenzie, like you knew something was wrong. And that's, right. you know, your maternal instinct there. Um, so you mentioned th- three open heart surgeries. What, like, what, so what happened in terms of, I guess, his birth and then afterwards, and how old was he when he had to have these surgeries? So, um, he, we went down, I had to move to Denver. So that's eight hours away, um, three weeks ahead of delivery, just to make sure that I didn't go into labor with him because he had to be born by C section as well. Mm-hmm. Um, if I wanted to have him at the children's hospital and be close to him, I had to, mm-hmm. I had to have a C section. They don't do VBACs which is what I was hoping for if he was healthy. But um, they had scheduled him on February 22nd of 2016. But I was hesitant about that date because of I really don't like the number two. Um, with Mackenzie being two days shy of eight, her and my daughter being two days shy of 18 months apart, and then Mackenzie being two days shy of two months old. I, the number two just doesn't sit with me. <laughs> oddly enough but um they ended up calling me and saying that they had an emergency surgery that they had to do on the 22nd so we are pushing it one more day so I was like thank you (laughs) (laughs) but they were they were great um the hardest part about going to a children's hospital is you just meet your team right before everything happens so I never met the OB. I never met anybody. Like I literally walked in and they had me stripped down and I was on the table naked. So, <laughs> and not only that, but there was like 25 people in the room 
<laughs> and was he was he full turn? Did he make it to full turn? Technically, or yes. Yep, he was um, thirty nine weeks and five days. So he was oh, full good. turn. Yeah. So he was. Yeah. So yeah. So a good way. Yeah. He didn't. Have yeah. To be and they had yeah. the surgeon when we had met with him back in November before he was born. Um, he told me to if we could gain a little extra weight because the the bigger mm-hmm. the baby, the better they fare with these surgeries. So mm-hmm. I gained the extra 15 pounds and Austin was born and he was seven pounds, 15 ounces. He was my biggest baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but that's he, a good way. Yeah. Yeah. He was, um, when he was born, most of the kiddos that have his heart condition have to go on a ventilator pretty much right away. Mm-hmm. And he didn't. He had oxygen, okay. but he didn't have to be on a ventilator. Okay, so that's positive. So, and yeah. what was what was his condition in terms of you know his heart and his general condition after he was born? So, his condition is called hypoplastic left heart syndrome. Um, that essentially just means the left ventricle in the heart is underdeveloped, um, mainly because there's a valve between the left atrium and the left ventricle that has never opened, so it doesn't allow blood flow to go through there to when it's mm-hmm. forming to open that up. Um, there's also like when it, with that condition itself, like there's a, he's got a small, what they call hypoplastic aorta. Hypoplastic just means small. Um, and then he had a hole in the, um, in between the two top chambers of his heart as well, which they actually need that for this condition to, for the surgeries to work. But his was starting Mm. to close up. Okay. So did we were put, scared. Did that put a ticking clock on then in terms of like the time for having to do the surgery? Yeah. So they originally thought that he would have to go to the cath lab and have it ballooned up a little bit. But when they got him out and did his first echo, right? they pretty much did it right away. Um, he, they said that it's open enough um, that we can, as long as they put the prostaglandins in his blood, that will keep it open and not close up. Mm, okay. So how old was he when he had the first surgery? 36 hours. Oh my goodness. So you had to, you had your tiny baby and then you had to hand him over. Yep. I did. It was, I was inpatient still cause I had a, a C-section. Mm, yeah. um, and I, I remember the night before his surgery, I snuck out of my room and went down to his room I was on the fourth floor and he was on the third floor and I walked myself down there and I uh, sat with him and held him for hours. And then the nurses chased me down and gave me my pain meds or whatever. And that I was like, I'm not going anywhere. Like, I'm just going to hang out here <laughs> and hold him until he has a surgery. And um, my husband came down. We spent time with him before he was taken back by the team. Mm. And that surgery was successful. Presumably? It was successful. Um, he, they, when they come out of surgery, it was an eight-hour-long surgery. Um, oh, when they come out of surgery, their chest is still open, so they have to go through the sternum, and um, his chest was still open. They had a sterile patch over it, but he, um, I could see his heart beating through it. And that, and all of the tubes and the ventilator, all of the, every line he had in him scared me because that was essentially my last memory of Mackenzie too. So like after the nurse had showed me what he looked like, cause I asked, I was like, I want to see what he looks like. 
I took a picture and then I had him cover him up and I went and sat across the room because I couldn't do it. Uh, and I felt and I feel really bad nowadays thinking back on it like I should have just been up there and holding his hand and all that stuff. But they also want him quiet. They want him like he's very much in a way paralyzed, like they have paralytics in him. And they have um, all sorts of pain meds and stuff. Um, but then five days later, he got his chest uh, closed up. They leave it open for swelling. Um, okay. ba- these, ba- I mean, babies that have his condition, they swell like crazy after surgery, and he was swollen. So he, what they weren't able to close it and keep his heart stable. So mm-hmm. they did. They waited, and um, yeah, they closed him up, and we um, only were in the the ICU portion of the cardiac unit for one week post surgery. Okay, and then was he? Was he in neonatal care for longer than that? Mm-hmm. Or were you able to? Yeah. Yeah. He um, he was in the ICU. So they call it the CIC, the Cardiac Intensive and care, Intensive Care Unit. After a week, they moved him over to the CPCU, which is the cardiac. Um, it's like it's like we call it the step down unit. All the acronyms. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know. The next one down. We call it the step down unit, where it's like it's the next step to going home. Mm-hmm. Um. And we were there in our own room and I got to be able to take over a little bit more care. I got to change diapers. I got to help with baths. Um, I got to try to help feed him. He had a feeding tube through his nose for a long time because they weren't sure if he could safely swallow um, without aspirating. So we had a swallow study done and um, that like just, it's like a, a live x-ray. And it shows like if he can swallow and it goes into his, which tube it goes down essentially. (laughs) And um, he didn't pass on certain liquids. He could only have thick liquids. Um, So we ended up scheduling him the G-tube surgery. So he was fed through his belly. Um, But that was, I mean, that was close to when we were leaving. Um, We didn't want the g-tube but at the same time like we knew it was for the best and um we needed to nourish him at some point and he can only have so much thickened milk but that without um risking his bowels dying so they had us doing that and i pumped so much milk for this baby (laughs) and that must have been so hard I mean I guess it felt like you were were able to do something for him at least you were able to sort of feed him but so hard like just having to sit there and pump and watch it going through this tube into him right it was it was tough but um we were discharged from the hospital on March 16th so not quite a whole month of being in the hospital Mm. from the time he was born and then he, did he have to have follow-up surgeries at some stage? He did. Yeah, we got to go home on April 1st. And then we came back to Denver after um, he was five months old. We came back and he had his second open heart surgery. And that one basically takes down what they did to the front to the first surgery. They take it down and they kind of redo something else. <laughs> And is that just because, like, his heart, because as he's growing, they kind of need to kind of fix things again? Yeah. (laughs) Sort of break things to fix things, it sounds like. Yeah, so the first surgery just kind of extends his life until he's able to have that surgery, the second one. 
The second um, one is a permanent one. <laughs> okay. So was so in terms of like I guess his sort of prognosis in terms of kind of I guess knowing that he was going to be okay, were they able to give you that reassurance after the first surgery or did you have to was that after the second month? They didn't really give us much of the reassurance after the first surgery. Um they sent us home with um like all we had to weigh him every day. We had to make sure he was gaining weight. We had um, I had to feed him around the clock every four hours. Um, like it, it felt very medical still, um, but they never really gave us really a prognosis until after he had a second surgery. And they, they told, I mean, it's hard to say even like long life term prognosis for him, but um, they said, I mean, they were really surprised at how well he did do with everything. Um, they so it's kind of funny they told us in the hospital that boys that are caucasian fare worse than like other um ethnicities and other gender like in the other gender that so they call it wimpy white boy syndrome <laughs> <That's been insulting. laughs> but it's like but it's it's a it's a true thing like just statistics say that like male caucasian babies don't fare as well with all this stuff and austin definitely uh showed them <laughs> he is not yeah. a really white boy. <laughs> yeah and how old is he now so he's four now is he he'll he's four he'll be five oh. in february yeah and he did have another open heart surgery he had his last one a year from july so july of um 2019 Wow, what a little warrior to go through all of that before he you know, before he even started school. <laughs> right. Yeah, he's going through he's he's gone through so much and he's so strong. Yeah. And and you also I think you have um you have a younger daughter, is that right? Yeah. yeah. How was your experience of being pregnant with her after everything you went through with Mackenzie and Austin? Yeah, I I mean it was very nerve wracking. Um I didn't really think too much about it and I didn't want to think about it until after we had that echo done mm. and I had the confirmation that she is healthy and we just went we actually skipped over maternal fetal medicine so our specialist and went right to our pediatric cardiologist because we had we've developed a relationship with him we trust his opinion I was just gonna skip that part and go right to this and he he reassured me too that you know her heart is the most boring echo he's done um it's the most boring, boring he's done and he said that if i still need more reassurance that they would do another one for me later if if i wanted to and then for sure they would do one when she was like 11 days old just mm -hmm. to make sure that the things that are supposed to close up after they're out of the womb close up and the heart's good so but yeah she yeah. was healthy <laughs> she oh, still is healthy amazing. <laughs> yeah <good. laughs> And finally, how how do you remember Mackenzie and involve her in your family life? And I guess talk to her siblings about her because you know, obviously, your older daughter kind of met her briefly, but doesn't really remember, right. and the younger ones will not know that at all. Yeah, we don't we don't really do a whole lot. Like we talk about her every once in a while. If the kids bring her up, we definitely will talk about her. Um, we do her birthday is August eighth, so we usually do like a balloon release um we don't have we have an urn she was cremated so we don't have like a headstone to go to but we have a brick at this brick walkway that the, our um 
that our town has through the Compassionate Friends. And we have a brick with her name on it that we've had for a few years now. And sometimes we'll go there and just put a flower there. So like this year, we all met at her brick and we took flowers to uh, and just put them on the brick. And then we put them on all of our other friends that have babies that ha mm. we put on their names too. And so it's kind of, we do that. And then um, sometimes some days or some years we have released balloons. Some years we've just done a cupcake and saying happy birthday to her. It changes every year with however our family is able to celebrate and yeah. how busy we are and all that stuff. But um, we always try to make sure that on that day we do something. Yeah. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on, Robin, and sharing Mackenzie's story and of also course. Austin's story. Right. Such a little fighter. I know. <laughs> he sure is. Well, thank you again. I really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Footprints on Our Hearts. Please help me break the silence around baby loss by sharing the podcast with your friends and leaving a review on iTunes. You can follow me on Instagram at Footprints on Our Hearts and Twitter at Sky's Footprints. For detailed show notes and to support the podcast and help me raise money for Tommies, please visit our website, footprintsonourhearts.com. <laughs>